You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that, though, man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, we are going across enemy lines to hear from Taylor Kyles and the New England perspective. Plus, we'll hear from Dolphins assistant coaches with sound bites of the week and answer your mailbag questions via the Twitter mailbag. All of that and a heck of a lot more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Let's welcome in my guest today from NFL Media and Pat's Pulpit, Taylor Kyles. Joining me now for the second time this season is a Pat's Pulpit alum. He's currently with Next Gen Stats, and you can find all kinds of great film breakdowns of the Patriots and other teams like the Miami Dolphins, their opponent this week, on his Twitter timeline. He is Taylor Kyles. Taylor, what's up, man? Welcome back in again. It is an honor and a pleasure to be back, Travis. Thank you so much for having me and uh, excited for round two. I'm happy to do it, man. I was looking back at my old files, and it was September 8th, the last time we talked. And it's funny because I think we, you know, as football fans and football media folks, we, we tend to maybe, you know, exaggerate the moment a little bit. And I think it happens with every team every week. Because I just look back to that, like, September the 8th, right? Like, we had our, our thoughts on these football teams at that time, and so much changes over the course of that time, and so much will change even in the next two weeks with how these teams' last two games will go. And I, I just that's kind of where I want to dive into this episode with you because we start every week at the quarterback position. You know that. And one thing I always say about Tua's game is how he excels in so many of the ways that maybe aren't like blatantly jump off the screen obvious to the common viewer, right? Anticipation, processing, the quick release, the feel, things like that. And I think that's where a lot of Mac Jones's success comes from. But I want to hear from someone who studies him every single week on tape. To you, what does Mac Jones do really, really well? So it's kind of odd because the things he does well are things that the Patriots are struggling with from a schematic and execution standpoint. So in the beginning of the season, I don't know if you remember, but there was a lot of shotgun. There was barely any play action, not really any screens. Like the Patriots were really just a drop back team. They were trying to spread it out and be more vertical than they'd been in years past. They did that for about a month. Didn't work. Uh, They didn't have the personnel to really keep it going. And also Mac was turning the ball over every single week. Um, There were some that were just like, okay, maybe he's trying to get a feel for this new offense. And there were some where they were just very bad decisions. Um, he gets hurt, comes back, struggles for the first couple weeks, and then you started to see the offense go back to its roots where it's quick passing, timing things, play action when you want your shot plays, things like that. And you saw the turnovers go way down. He started playing a little bit more consistently, and you started to see them start – I don't even want to say start to get on track because I, I won't be – I'll be frank, this year has kind of been a mess offensively. But you started to see some confidence, and you started to see some big plays generated. Now – 
in terms of, uh, like I said, the timing offense where Mac typically does succeed, there have been issues where receivers are in the same areas a lot of the time. Uh, both tight ends actually last week got hurt, Johnny and Hunter Henry, because they ended up running into uh, fellow receivers because they were too close together. Um, you're seeing some footwork and routes sometimes, like the timing just doesn't sync up where Mac will be at the top of his drop and guys are still working on their routes downfield. Some weird play calling, things like that. So where you've really seen him have success, I think is towards the end of games. Once the Patriots get in a hole and there's not good execution, play calling's kind of shaky in the beginning. And then he kind of has to press. And last week you saw three connections he had with Kendrick Bourne, three of the Patriots most improbable receptions of the entire season. And that was when he started to kind of click in his head, like, all right, I've got to start making plays on my own. And obviously quarterbacks can get into trouble when they start doing those things. But you're starting to see that Mac has more potential than people really think. You only think of him really as like a Tom Brady-esque or Tua-esque, you know, needs to be on time, quick passing game and all those things. But he's been very successful downfield when he's really had to make those types of plays. He's also been one of the most elusive quarterbacks of the entire season. Um, his pressure evasion rate's the highest in the league, and he's done a really good job extending plays when he needs to within his physical skill set. So uh, that was a really long-winded way of saying that he's good when they have to press, but the things that he typically tends to excel in, he can't really maximize because the pieces around him just haven't been consistent enough for the whole thing to work. I don't want to take blame off his plate as well because there have been some misreads, um, late throws, some timing, things like that where he can definitely improve. But uh, in terms of the whole blame pie, I'll give him maybe like a quarter, maybe a third. And the rest, it's just, you know, a lack of consistency from, you know, as we talked about a lot in the beginning of the year, all the coaching staff changes that this offense had to go through. Hey, listen, we do not fret at long-winded here. I do it on the podcast every single day, and our head coach talks about it in his press conferences at least once a week about going long-winded <laughs> on answers, and he gives us great stuff every single week. So we appreciate that, man. It's very informative. And you touched on something to kind of follow up there. Uh, and you, you mentioned it here in the podcast as well, but you touched on it on Twitter talking about Mac Jones' success throwing the football vertically this year. And he got the Dolphins to Jacoby Myers, I believe it was, back in week one. For mm-hmm. it, Is it always, to me, I think it, the ones that I saw, and you can confirm this for me or not, is it always that, that boundary takeoff, no safety help, throw to the X receiver on the takeoff? That's usually what he hits, right? And it's, it's been pretty successful for them this year. Yeah, that's where most of the success is. And it's like in college, he can hit a goal ball, you know. it's He doesn't have the best arm strength, although it's still good. Like uh, one of Kendrick Bourne's first catch of the entire season was on one of their last drives where Mac threw it 50 yards in the air and completed it on a goal ball. So, you know, he can get the ball downfield, not to the extent of some of the stronger arm guys, but really when you do see them get vertical, it's those and it's the seam throws yeah. off into Hunter Henry because for some reason defenses refuse to cover him when he's <laughs> running down the seam. So it's not like they're the highest difficulty throws, but uh, yeah, when you see a lot of those downfield completions, it's those. And Devontae Parker, when he's healthy, uh, Mac and him have had a lot of pretty insane connections, as I'm sure is to be expected of Devontae Parker. You know the story. He makes a couple crazy catches a game, gets hurt. You don't see him for a few weeks. It's, you know, rinse, repeat. <laughs> yeah, it's sorry. I didn't know if you were finished there, but it's it's uh, yeah. He the couple of those those fifty fifty balls that he goes up and gets. It's that's what Devontae Parker's always done best. And obviously, mm-hmm. you add that speed element with Tyquan Thornton in there. Um, I do want to get to Tyquan Thornton here in just a second. I'm also glad you mentioned uh, Max Pocket elusiveness because I feel like a lot of times people mistake elusiveness for the quarterback position with like forty time. That's just not the case. Mm-hmm. And you know he's really good at making those subtle movements in the pocket to create more space. That was one of my big keys of the game this week was to to get home with multiple rushers so that you don't 
don't allow him those escape hatches. But I do want to talk about the running game as well because you talked about it in, in your Mac Jones answer there. And, and the evolution of the Patriots' run game. And we know this team you know, adapts and grows and improves year in and year out, week in and week out, I should say, within those years, every single year. Like, it's, it's uncanny. How would you describe the growth of the Patriots' run game from when we saw them in week one? And mind you, that was when all the training camp reports were that it wasn't going well, right? And then they come out in week one, they have not a lot of success in that week one game. But now, 17 weeks in, how, how would you describe the growth of the running game from then to now? Well, I'd say for one, they aren't running from shotgun as often. Because um, like I was saying in the beginning, they really tried to be more of a spread team to start the year. So there was very little under center. Um, so you're seeing more under you're seeing more under center runs later in the year. And in terms of just schematically, they haven't done a lot differently throughout this season. Um, but it's much different from what they did last season. So last year it was their most popular run, I think, was duo or man, where you're basically it's like they call it power without a puller. So you're really just trying to get downhill and use your bigger bodies to create displacement, get to the second level, and then your running back finds the best lane. And then you try to, usually it's a short yardage play, but if you have the right personnel, it can be a consistent weapon for you. What they did this year was instead of duo, they're leaning more on inside zone because Ramondre Stevenson's a great cutback runner. So they are still able to have that physical edge where they're still going downhill and moving bodies, but now they can create bigger lanes because they can capitalize on defenses overcommitting and going to the play side. And then the Patriots backs all have really good vision. So they can take advantage of that and get backside and get bigger runs than they would get with their more traditional downhill running right at you things. Uh, but at the same time, they're still very gap heavy. Um, I know there was a lot of rumblings about them incorporating the Shanahan system, which I think they've dabbled in, but it still hasn't been a main feature, which has a lot to do with the fact that you got Trent Brown, who's a behemoth. You got Mike and Wenu, who's 330 pounds. Like, they're not really built to be running outside zone for any type of majority of their plays, although they will do it when there's certain uh, things you're trying to take of take advantage of schematically, like with the Dolphins' bare front where they get those three big guys inside. I think we'll try to see it where they'll either try to get outside or create one of those cutback lanes by creating uh, that horizontal displacement. Um, but, yeah, they're still using their gap runs because they got those big guys. They got Cole Strange, who's a really good puller. Um, and then their right tackles, there's been a huge rotation, but typically uh, whoever's on the right side is pretty athletic. So they'll run some, uh, some counter things to get those guys moving. Uh, you're going to see a good amount of toss. I don't think they've used it quite as much as they did last year, but it's still one of the staples of their offense where they'll try to get outside and force those defensive backs to uh, make tackles outside and bring down those big running backs that the Pats have. So uh, once again, to kind of tie it all together, a lot of the same things that they've done throughout the season, except it's more under center. Uh, but you're seeing more of uh, the zone runs inside than you saw last year, where it was very little zone in almost all gap scheme. Well, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of uh, this guy that I'm going to talk about. My next question here, Taylor Kyles from NFL Media, Next Gen Stats researcher, uh, was Pierre Strong was a guy that I was super high on coming out of college. And you guys sniped him, I think, in the fourth round uh, of this yeah, year's draft. Third round this year? Okay, yeah. He's, he was oh, fourth, fourth. You got it. Oh, perfect. Look at that. We'll take the dub back. Uh, he, no, he's explosive, man. He's fun to watch. And I think he has like 10 carries for 100 yards this year. Uh, Tyquan Thornton, too. I mean, I think he's a, a guy that offers traits in terms of the speed that nobody else on the offense has. You mentioned Ramondre Stevenson, who, again, another guy that he was awesome at the senior bowl, just running through guys and pass pro reps were, were violent as hell. Uh, but just talking about some of those skill players, and you mentioned Kendrick Bourne and Devontae Parker earlier. If you had to highlight two or three guys that you really have to pay attention to in this Patriots skill group, who would you who would you say those guys are? 
Well, Ramondre's at the top of the list, uh, especially with all the injuries to Damian Harris and Jacoby Myers, who are two of the offense's more consistent players when they're on the field. They've both been injured consistently and haven't been able to stay on the field. So that turned into, okay, who's our best weapon on uh, offense? It's Ramondre Stevenson, and it's not particularly close. So they started feeding him a lot of uh, design, kind of one-on-one matchups backside, where they put three receivers to one side of the field and then Ramondre with Devontae Parker or an X receiver try to create a matchup with that linebacker one-on-one, which was hit or miss. Ramondre is still a big guy. You know, he's a pretty good receiver. He's got good hands. He can make people miss, but he's not James White where he's necessarily going to shake you at the top of routes or create a lot of separation against man consistently. Um, but they also give him a lot of screens, a lot of flats, where it's basically just designed to get him uh, the ball in space. And obviously in the run game, Belkow doesn't really do it justice. He's pinned there every single down back which is a big reason why Pierre Strong hasn't had as much of an impact. Although when Ramondre went down against the Cardinals and couldn't really play a lot in the second half of that game, you got the chance to see Pierre Strong and Kevin Harris, who I also liked a lot as a sixth round pick really physical guy who more fits their mold where he's got great contact balance, vision, quick feet, all those things uh, to really just consistently get you four yards and maybe more if you give him the opportunity. So Ramondre Stevenson, top of the list. Um, Jacoby Myers, of course, if he's good to go, um, is someone you got to watch out for. He's not a game breaker. He's not necessarily going to be someone who you're like, oh, we didn't take a, we didn't shut down Jacoby Myers and that's why we lost the game. But he's someone who keeps the offense on track. And usually when they are consistent, it's because he's getting a fair share of targets. And one person, I don't even know if this is going to come to fruition. I'm hoping so. I'm going to say Kendrick Bourne just because last week he went off had his best game of the season by far, despite the fact that most of the year he's been a screen guy. Um, Mac went downfield to him a lot, and they had some of it was some of the most confident they've looked on offense, and some of the most dangerous they've looked on offense all season. And I'm hoping they really go to that well and try to give him at least you know eight or ten touches this week. So I'm going to go ahead and kind of take a shot and say KB because the rest of the offense to be very honest, isn't particularly scary. I've, I've always liked watching his game back to San Francisco and that Super Bowl run they had. Man, he was an integral part of that offense and obviously got mm-hmm. the big contract from the Patriots there. Let's go ahead and flip it over to the other side of the ball, though, because it sounds like maybe you're a little more excited about this side of the Patriots' uh, offense and defensive structure. And Every year it's, it seems like you know they find a way to produce whether or not they have the pieces they did the year before and, and find success on defense. Up front, the pass rush has just been unrelenting this year. Uh, how would you describe how they're creating that pressure up front, and who are some of the key parts of it? So it starts with Matt Judon, obviously. Yeah. Um, he started off really hot, kind of got cold in the middle of the season just because teams started hitting him. They started chipping him, getting double teams, really paying more attention to him to make sure he couldn't take over games because he's such a playmaker. Uh, what the Patriots are doing a lot was actually getting him a lot of unblocked pressures using a lot of twists and different line games where teams would expect him to be going around the edge with his speed. And then one of the Patriots really talented defensive tackles would be able to create an opening inside. Judon's really good at timing those up and knowing when he needs to hit the alley to be most effective. Uh, So a lot of his pressures early in the season came on those, although he's also uh, been more effective with his speed rush and fewer loops, I think in the past few weeks and more of switching it up in terms of, okay, instead of just speed, I'll hit him with power and, you know, trying to vary it up in terms of being more of a pure edge rusher. Then obviously Josh Uche, who's really been coming on in the past month and a half, two months, um, has been killing guys with his explosiveness and his bend. He's a very rare type of pass rusher. 
I remember he had a sack against the Bills where even though it was against a backup tackle, I looked and was like, I'm not going to lie. He kind of looked like Von Miller there because you saw him hit that ghost and then bend around and he's parallel. And you're like, oh, my God, no one else on this team is getting even close to that kind of freaky play in the pass rush. And Uche is really good because he's kind of an undersized guy. So power isn't a big part of his repertoire, although he'll throw it in if guys are just going to leave their chest wide open, but he's really good with his hands and has different ways to beat you. Like he'll use speed. Um, He's using hesitation a lot to get guys to freeze their feet and then get around the edge. Um, Swatting guys hands down with that double swipe. You see a lot from guys like Joey Bosa. I feel like that's becoming more popular these days. Um, So Matt Judon and Uche have been really dangerous on the outsides. And then inside you got Dietrich wise, who's a defensive end and more of their base packages, but he'll knock down inside on passing downs. And he's just a really big, long guy who it's hard to get in his body because he's got such long arms and he's powerful. So you just see him manhandle. Like, I think he literally put all three of the Bengals interior linemen on the ground last week. He's not someone you hear a lot about, but he's coming every down player who's very disruptive and uh, can push the pocket and create disruption up there. And then you got Barmore, who's finally back. Hasn't been great. Obviously, it's his first two games off injured reserve, so he hasn't been as explosive as you'd expect, but you still see the power. You still see the disruptive ability, and he's still someone you got to account for. So when you have all those guys inside, and the Patriots like to walk a fifth guy up there on passing down so that you kind of have to force man-to-man situations and everyone's one-on-one, they're just not a team that you want to be in third and eight-plus against because if they know you're passing, that's where you start to see all the pressure numbers really get up there. But obviously the Dolphins usually do a good job of staying in the game and making sure that they don't give the Patriots a lot of opportunities to pin their ears back. So we'll see what happens, but this pass rush has really been turning it on. Yeah, if you mentioned Wise and Guy. It feels like those two guys have been there for like 30 years at this point. They just always are there. They're always productive, always reliable. And, you know, on the back end of the Patriots defense, it's a lot different. Although Devin McCourty, I saw, I was looking up his numbers the other day. He had one season where he didn't play over 1,000 snaps, and it was like 960. But like 13 years of 1,000 snaps for that guy, just a crazy level of, of production and reliability. You obviously got Kyle Duggar, the younger guy back there as well. But for the most part, like, rookies and, and you know a couple of first second year players in that secondary uh how have they grown in the same way i asked the question about the running game how have they grown from when we saw you guys back in week one to now in the penultimate game of the regular season so kyle duggar just continues to improve uh obviously a crazy athlete but you're also saying that he's smarter there was a pick six that he had against the raiders where he seemed to recognize something about the formation even though josh mcdaniels put some uh some uh window dressing on it to make it look a little bit different it was a quick smoke screen to Devonte adams duggar started going downhill before the ball was snapped yeah. which is one of those <laughs> where you can see he's watching the film and marrying that crazy athleticism with intelligence uh, when he's covering tight ends you see it all the time where he's really good at sticking to his leverage and when he gets hands on guys he can feel when they're trying to lean to get him to go one way and making sure that he doesn't get thrown out of his route the way he did earlier in his career So, yeah, he's been fantastic, really knocking on the door of being a pro bowl, all pro caliber player. Um, I think next season is when you're really going to see him get there. And the rest of the secondary, Miles Bryant, who is uh, one guy who's really young. He's been on the team, I think, about four years. He's going to be a restricted free agent this year. Um, He's someone that Patriots fans love to pick on. And it's pretty fair uh, considering he's a not terribly athletic slot defender. Uh, which is a position where you really have to have some level of dynamic athleticism to keep up with guys who have two-way goes on every single route. Um, The Patriots have been playing a lot more zone recently, especially because they've been playing a ton of great number one receivers. So you're seeing him 
start to play a little bit better because he's not being forced to cover dynamic people one-on-one. He's more able to use his physicality, his intelligence to be in the right place and make tackles and keep things in front of him. Although he'll give up one very irritating third down every game. I'm sure that you guys are going to see one of those where it's a play where you really need a conversion and then everyone's going to tweet about how bad Miles Bryan is. But uh, (laughs) I think he's really starting to come around and been more of a solid player for them. Uh, Jonathan Jones, uh, who's the only player, I think their only corner other than Miles Bryant, who uh, participated at all in practice yesterday. It's not been a great season for him. Granted, he's been their primary slot guy for his entire career. This season became their top corner once J.C. Jackson left. He looked good for the beginning of the year and then towards the latter part where he started to go up against Justin Jefferson, Stephon Diggs, you know, the creme de la creme in the league. You started seeing his his, uh, efficiency slip off. He was getting shaken at the top of routes, losing 50-50 balls. His technique slipped a bit. You saw his eye discipline decline, especially against Stephon Diggs, where instead of looking at the hips, he would look at his eyes. And against those those top receivers, if you're going to try to follow their helmet, they're going to lose you every single time. Um, So I love John Jones. I'm hoping that maybe this is just a wonky season and he can rebound or what have you. But uh, in terms of growth, I'd say he's more on the negative side where he hasn't been as great as he's been in years past. Um, And then finally, Marcus Jones. I think Jack Jones has been out for a few weeks. He was a rotational starter um, and kind of on the field when John Jones was out in the first game of the season. He was a turnover guy, was forcing a lot of really big plays for the Patriots early on. That production dipped towards the middle to end of the year. He started battling injuries. Teams also started noticing he was kind of aggressive on double moves. And you started to see, although teams didn't always take advantage, him getting burned on those a little bit more, although he was cognizant of the problem. Um, so I'm not sure he's going to play, but he's one of those guys where you may be able to take advantage of him, but also if you get him on the wrong down, he might get a turnover on you. And then Marcus Jones, who's I'm sure people are pretty familiar with him at this point. He's doing everything, playing all three phases, scoring touchdowns in all three phases. He was someone who wasn't really playing to start the year. Uh, Belichick mentioned he was still learning and there were still some deficiencies where they weren't confident putting him on the field consistently. But uh, especially recently, injuries have forced him to play a bigger role. And while he struggled against bigger receivers, I think he's been a overall been a consistent tackler. His athleticism really shows up where he's got great recovery speed, uh, had one deflection against Devontae Adams where he was one on one, like. 40, 50 yards downfield on what has been a touchdown for Devontae Adams and a lot of other weeks managed to break it up. He's a really competitive young player. So, um, yeah, the younger guys have managed to learn and grow uh, for the most part. Like I said, John Jones, a bit on the decline, hasn't had a really great past couple months. But, uh, yeah, it's it's still a secondary where you got to pick your spots. You can't be a lock stays goal against them because they'll pick one off on you. And they've been scoring more than the Patriots offense. Uh, and, or, and at least a more consistent threat to score touchdowns. So, yeah, definitely don't want to sleep on those guys, but there's also times you're going to have your opportunities to get some big plays. Well, you've given us so much here on this episode, Taylor. We appreciate that, but I want to ask you one more quick one, if you don't mind. The Patriots will win this game, and it's a must-win for the Patriots. They'll win this game if, and then you fill in the blank. Patriots will win this game if they can capitalize on the run game. I think this will be a good week to kind of move the ball as long as they're not going at Christian Wilkins, um, especially the passing attack. You've seen a lot of big plays that the Dolphins have given up, you know, downfield underneath. So I think if the Patriots can handle the pressure looks from the Dolphins, their stunts and blitzes and all those types of things, keep Mac upright and just execute as simple as that sounds. They haven't been able to do that consistently. So if they can do their job, 
obviously, Pat's feet. Got to throw one of those in there. <laughs> um, but as long as they can do that consistently on offense and just take what's there, I think they'll be fine. Defensively, I think the biggest key to the game is the second level, specifically the linebackers and Kyle Duggar, Adrian Phillips, who's ever in there at the time. If they get sucked up by play action or Teddy doesn't use a lot of RPOs, but you know some of those plays where they get guys to freeze and they throw over their heads in the intermediate part of the field, if they can be confident against those plays, not just allow consistent chunks and tackle. The only touchdown they allowed last time we played was that long touchdown to Jalen Waddle where Jawan Bentley and Jalen Mills took each other out and then, you know, Waddle ran and used that speed to uh, score a long one on both of them with eight, which was a crazy decision and that was such an embarrassing conversion. But yeah, tackling and not letting the Dolphins pick them apart in the middle of the field. I think if they can do those, they'll have a good shot at winning this one. Beautiful. There it goes. He, he's Taylor Kyles, researcher for Next Gen Stats at NFL Network. You can find him on Twitter at tkyles39. Taylor, thank you again so much, my friend. And uh, look, I'm, I'm sorry to say this to you, but I hope that uh, your season comes to an end on Sunday and we got to keep going uh, into Week 18 with another victory here for the Dolphins. Thank you again, man. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, pal. Anytime. There he goes, Taylor Kyles. What a fun interview that was. He talked about going long-winded. He sure did, but we appreciate that because, hey, no limits on the podcast. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back and do Assistant Coaches Media. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey, guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like check out these hair. I mean, don't just walk around. Hey, tapping. Hey, <laughs> hey, stranger. I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Segment number two here on a Friday, and we pick it back up with assistant coaches audio here. We heard from Josh Boyer, Frank Smith, Austin Clark, and Daryl Bevel, and Anthony Campanelli on Thursday. Let's go ahead and start with Dolphins defensive coordinator Josh Boyer, who was asked about the similarities in this year and last year's defense, talking about the injuries in the defensive backfield, plenty of stuff. Here's coach kind of giving us a look beyond what's gone on this year compared to last year on the defensive side of the football. You know, I think there's a lot of similarities, like, you know, as far as schematically and game planning and, you know, we're always, you know, whether, you know, the results are what we want or not, you know, I, I think the similarities have been, uh, you know, we're always trying to game plan a, opponents. We're always trying to m- take something away and attack something. I think that's always been the case. Um, you know, uh, we've had some guys that, uh, you know, have gotten more experience as the years went on. Uh, you know, obviously, Cater, Keon, uh, McKinley, um, Elijah's out there from time to time. 
you know, um, you know, but I, I would say the majority, you know, in the front shifts a little bit based on people that they, that you lose and, um, and at the end of the day, you look at what you have available to you and what the offense is doing. And again, it goes right back to, okay, what can we take away? What can we try to attack? And what's the best way to try to win the game? I was a fan of some of the line of questioning in this, these press conferences. They were kind of prodding towards how you measure success and how you grade certain things. And this one was asked to Coach Boyer, how do you measure pass rush success well, yeah, I, I think there's a number of things that go into that. Uh, one, you know, you know, I, the, the obvious that everybody looks at is usually stack uh, sacks or quarterback hits. You know, in those situations, uh, sometimes you got to look at you know what the offense is doing, how quick the ball's coming out. Um, you know, uh, are there batted balls in those situations? Uh, are we close to that? Uh, are you forcing a quarterback to you know make a good throw, a good catch? I mean, like. Look, week in and week out, it's you're never a hundred percent where you're going. You know, every play for you is good, um, so you got to be able to handle you know um, a little bit of adversity, I guess you'd call it. But the reality of it is, is like what you're trying to do is not give them anything easy. You're not trying to have you know guys running wide open in space. You're not trying to have um, you know gaping gaps open in the run game. Uh, you know. But, like, you know, when you're competitive in coverage and, you know, they make a good throw, a good catch, you know, that happens. You know, when, you know, you you need to stop them for a three-yard gain and it's a two-yard gain and, you know, he they lean in and, you know, they're, they're good players on the other side of the ball too. They make plays. That's part of the game. But the reality of it is, you know, over, over the course of a 60-minute game, if you make it tough and difficult and don't beat yourself – uh, I think that puts you in the best position to win. And to kind of piggyback off that, the next question was about getting pressure with four-man rushes and the desire to call a four-man rush to send extra pass rushers in the blitz game. Here's Coach talking about getting home with four. A lot of times when you're when you're running pressures, you're trying to run pressures to beat protections. And, you know, you just don't run them in there and go, okay, well, we're, we're sending an extra guy, but he's going to run into this guy. You, you, you try to set it up so where you can beat the protection. And then obviously you have base calls where you, where you play, um, you know, you drop more guys in coverage. And, you know, traditionally I, I would say most teams rush four. Um, and a lot of times it depends on what the offense is doing. You know, are, are they taking, you know, are they taking a five, a step, seven-step drop? Is the quarterback, you know, is he, is he getting the ball out on time? Is he throwing it off a you know a second hitch? I, I think there's times when you know you have good coverage and, and the quarterback's holding on the ball a little bit and you don't get there. Those are times that you'd be disappointed. There's other times when you rush and you may win on a rush and it's like okay the ball's out quick. So I think there's so many variables into that and the reality of it is is you're trying to create pressure on the offensive line and the quarterback and you got to do a good job of marrying that the coverage with the front. And you're trying to do that over a 60-minute period to ultimately give yourself a chance to win the game. So, like, you know, look, you know, I, I don't think there is – you sit there and you reflect on the whole season. Like, that's not how it works. Like, how it works is, is like, like today, for example, we, we go out there and we practice. It won't be perfect, okay? But, like, what's going to happen is, is every rep that we take, it's an opportunity to learn. Right, wrong, or indifferent, whatever will happen – you're going to learn from that opportunity and you're just gaining information as you go. And, 
and ultimately what you're trying to do is put the players in the best position to succeed and you're trying to get them to understand things that they can anticipate so they can play faster and play better. And I mean, you do that on a daily basis and that really goes until the clock hits zeros on Sunday. And then once it hits zeros on Sunday, you know, we talked about this before, there's probably a 10 minute period. And then after that, you're, you're on to the next opponent. So it's not like you sit there and go, ah, you know, this, that. You, you try to learn from it and you, you move forward, you forge forward. And that's, you know, that's probably, I don't know if that's hard to understand, but like that, that's really what happens. Like on a daily basis, like yesterday, you know, whether we're in the meeting room or we're in the walkthrough, you know, it's, and again, it's not perfect. Sometimes, you know, okay, we miss this or we miss that. And then you go, okay, we correct this. And then at the end of the week, you make a decision going, all right, we didn't really have this. We probably shouldn't do that because it doesn't put us in the best position to succeed, even though on paper, it might schematically be a good thing. Let's finish up here with Coach Boyer when he was asked about what he sees on tape when watching Patriots quarterback Mac Jones. Um, you know, he's a competitive player. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that you see on film that, that they're well-schooled in. Um, and they're looking for certain opportunities. Um, you know, obviously, uh, the Vegas game comes to mind. Uh, Vegas was showing a max blitz look, which you knew that they were going to pop out of that blitz um, based on the safety. So he saw the safety. He checked the play. Happened twice in the game. Uh, one time they hit him for a big play. The other time they missed the throw. Both plays should have been touchdowns. So, like, you know, his – his awareness and understanding of things that are going on in the game, I, I think, are, you know, at, at a high level. And, uh, you know, I think he has some escapability in the pocket. He keeps his eyes downfield. Uh, I think, you know, they have guys that have made plays all year, um, you know, and I think he's willing to throw, throw, throw the ball to all of them. And, um, you know, and then he, he has the ability, you know, you show pressure one side, he'll, he'll check the play. Like, you know, he usually gets them in the right place. You don't, you don't see him, like, running into a down safety very often, you know. So uh, I think, you know, the things that they're doing over there schematically, you know, you got to be very careful of showing them something, you know, that you've done over and over again because they'll probably have something schemed up for it. And I think the Vegas was uh, – that game was a perfect example of it. And, you know, I know they got one big gain on it, but the reality of it is they probably should have scored on it both times. Let's go now to the offensive side of the football and quarterbacks coach Daryl Bevel, who was asked, what did you see from Teddy Bridgewater in his limited time this season that gives you confidence going into this big game up in Fox? Well, I think, I think you look at Teddy's whole body of work. You know, I, I mean, Teddy's been in the NFL for a long time. Um, he's a cagey veteran player. Yeah, he's, he's seen a lot of defenses. He's played a lot of football. So um, I'm, I'm really excited about the things that, that he can bring, for, bring to us. Um, it's really important that we do things that um, – that will help him be successful as well. So I think there's been a good collaborative effort working together to make sure that he's going to be able to be put in the best situation to help our offense be successful. But there's a good history there of, of him playing really good football. Next here from Coach Bevel, he was asked about the thing we've heard to us say a lot this year about let every play stand on its own merit. He was asked, where does that come from? And kind of give us a background about where you learned it from and exactly what that means uh, from your perspective. Yeah, it's just something, um, you know, in, in my background that, I, that I've had that, um, you know, when you, when you play the quarterback position, there's, there's so much that goes into it. You know, it's such a mental um, – it, it, it's such a huge mental game for, for a quarterback. 
um, whether it's play calls, whether it's defenses, whether just all the information that they have to that they have to take in, and then things that are happening during the game. So um, it's just kind of a way for them to be able to uh, not hold on to the last play or you know something. You know, let's say they made a mistake on a, on a play back here, you have to continue to move on or. Um, you know, situations happen in a game where you got pressure on one play, where you can't say the next play is going to have pressure again. You know, those things that kind of get in your head as human nature. So um, that each play stands on an, on its own merit is, you know, we have to play this play, and then no matter what happens, it's gone. And then the next play, hey, what happens on this play? And I got to make sure that I, you know, stay within the framework of of that one opportunity. And you know, just something that we've been preaching in our room. Let's go back to the, or stay rather, on the offensive side of the football with Dolphins offensive coordinator Frank Smith, who was asked about just witnessing Tua go through what he went through on Sunday, Monday into this week. Here's Frank Smith talking about his quarterback. Human element when you invest uh, so much with these guys, you get to know them so well on a personal level. I mean, in a football season, many ways you get to know the players or spend more time with them than you do your own family. So the impact of uh, injuries, you know, sometimes it, it hits real hard. But, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, when you have injuries at any position, uh, you're always excited for the opportunity to see the rest of your team respond. So I think it's a great moment for us at this point in the season, uh, where especially with things not going our way the last couple of weeks, right? The NFL is all about what, what do you do right now? And ultimately, if we um, stay in the present and affect right now what what's most important. I mean, we're still in control of our own destiny, and uh, that's why we're excited to attack today to make the best out of Thursday. Next coach was asked about guarding against players trying to press in the absence of their starting quarterback. Is there a tendency for guys to press in this situation? Here's Frank Smith. Uh, maybe, but I think that collectively uh, on Mondays we sat here going, okay, where can we grow? Where can we improve? I think the mindset of the guys is very positive in that, A, yeah, it didn't go the way we wanted to, but it's a great opportunity for us to really learn from um, uh, what occurred and understand that, you know, if, you, if those things do occur, that's not what's necessary. What's necessary is to uh, really do your job to the best level that you need to do, not try and think that I need to affect the game outside of the parameters and what my responsibility is on that play. So I think it's a, again, like, you know, adversity is an opportunity is all we believe around here. So it's one of those moments where we really have a chance still. I mean, even though the game doesn't go the way you want it, we're still in a situation because of earlier in the season, we were able to take care of some things. So we got two games left and, you know, our goal right now is to have the best Thursday we can. Every moment, every play we do it, maximize the opportunity and preparation for uh, having a positive outcome on Sunday. Because if we do that, we're going to like the way the rest of the way goes. I was so infatuated by that deep shot Tua took to Tyreek, obviously for the ball placement, but also the way Tyreek kind of uses his body and his speed and his recognition of where the ball might fall out of the sky and, and how the defender's playing it and how he uses all those elements to kind of fool defenders by his route running to make these extra steps, extra details. I wanted to ask Frank Smith about the extra details in Tyreek Hill's game beyond just the speed that makes him special. It all goes back to preparation, Coach says. I think Here's that uh, with him, I mean, it all comes back down to his preparation. I mean, he practices the way he plays, and then when you practice the way you play, you're allowed to work through the nuances of your game on a daily basis. And, you know, great players, you know, kind of have that uh, innate 
competitive drive and every, like they're always trying to get better to make sure that they're ready for uh, the situations that could present itself on Sunday. So I think it goes back to his preparation. I mean, uh, you know, a couple of years ago when I was coaching Jason Witten, he was the same way. I mean, it started in walkthroughs. I mean, he was always rolling. I mean, it was the same way Darren and it impacted Darren too. And then, you know, in New Orleans, that was Drew uh, Sproles, John Velma. I mean, great players. I mean, they have that ability to know that they're always working, they're always mastering, and I think it uh, rubs off on the other guys when they really see that detail and then how they take it to Sunday and then combined with his uh, skill set. I mean, it's not, I would think that uh, whether it's an amateur eye or professional eye or however we see it, you just see it's, it's success isn't by chance, and it comes with all right, hard work and preparation, and he surely is maximizing that. We'll go back to defense here real quick with linebackers coach Anthony Campanelli, who was asked about what do you see on tape when guys are having an effective, productive game? What stands out that maybe doesn't hit the box score or the TV audience's eye? Here's coach talking about how to evaluate linebacker play. Um, I think communication certainly is the, the number one thing that's not going to obviously appear on the, the stat sheet. But um, when we're having a good game, that's really what it is. You see guys flying around, and I say this a lot that, you know, big plays or, or uh, you know, positive plays defensively are often executed because of anticipation. Uh, and being able to take the meeting room to the game. Uh, and if I have a little bit uh, of an idea or some clarity that, hey, this is one of two things right here as opposed to one of ten things, I'm going to be able to react a lot faster. Um, and I think when we're communicating that way, you know, we're playing fast, we're playing good football. In terms of the stat sheet, to me, that, that it could be anything. But, um, you know, a lot of it to me is are we flying around? Are we getting off blocks? Are you playing with a mentality that, you know, it's not okay to get blocked? You're finishing tackles. Uh, finishing to the ball and attacking the ball. Those are the things that really, the tenets of what we believe in. And when we're playing good defense, that's the stuff that is showing up consistently. Last one here. I love this question and answer about how do you balance the use of film study and analytics and stats and advanced metrics and all the stuff. And coach kind of asked the reporter back, are you talking about evaluating our own guys or the opponent? And he touched on a little bit of both of those here in his answer. Your own pressure yeah. to run. I think you, you definitely, I think every NFL team probably uses it to a degree in, in evaluating their opponent. You know, getting ready for a game for sure. Uh, but in terms of your own players, I think when you're looking at that, there's really two things. You know, there's a production grade, you know, who's producing, who is maybe showing up on a stat sheet like that, right? That guy's out there for uh, 50 plays and his production grade is very high as opposed to a guy who's out there for, you know, he's out there for 90 plays and his production grade is very low, right? You may be executing your job, but uh, maybe there isn't as much production time to time those are things you kind of look at after every game great stuff there from coach let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and do your mailbag questions that's next here on the drive time podcast your host travis wingfield brought to you by auto nation getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Let's 
Let's go ahead and close up this week with the Twitter mailbag. I put the call out on Thursdays. You reply with your questions, and we talk about them here on the podcast as well as MiamiDolphins.com. And our first question comes in from at FinsFan96. How do you build a successful game plan around quarterback Teddy Bridgewater? I think the obvious answer here is run the ball and play defense. That's kind of the formula for any backup quarterback but regardless of the quarterback I think balance is always going to be the best path forward we saw this offense post over 400 yards in the cold and eventually snowy weather and Buffalo kicked off by a first quarter with over 100 yards on the ground in the Green Bay game the first possession features runs of 14 17 and five yards which obviously is great there was a two-yard run there as well so four yards or four rushes I should say for a total of Geez, uh, 38 yards? That's a pretty good average. Then the first play of the second possession is an 84-yard touchdown strike from Tua to Waddle. And if you watch the flow of the play off play action, eight Packers defenders bite up on the run fake, and it creates not just separation for Jalen to make the catch, but to make something happen after the fact. So Tua, Teddy, or whoever, running the football is always going to be a big way to give you balance and strike opportunities in the passing game when you can run successfully and get defenses out of that cover too or too high shell I should say having success obviously helps you by gaining yards and first downs but I think it would also create situations to get your best playmakers the football in situations where they can flip the game with big plays next question at RCO phone how can we get off the field on third down with the game on the line I do think this game will be decided on third down situations by both offenses. It's been a struggle for the Patriots this season on third down. They are 27th in the NFL at 34.9%. So hopefully our Dolphins defense that has struggled in that regard as well can get a little bit healthy here. And for the Patriots offense, that number drops to 21% on third and seven plus. So to me, it's all about down and distance. Win on the early downs. Force them into third and longs because that's your best opportunity not just to get off the field, but to make a splash play that changes the game. They take sacks. You know, Mac Jones will fumble the ball when he gets hit back in the pocket. He'll put the ball in harm's way. He'll try to throw from compromised pockets, which can lead to hit arms and hit batted balls that get tipped up into the air. Take advantage of that. Get a multi-takeaway game here, and you should be able to get out of there with a victory. And like we talked about in the preview, these two teams always play short in games. So big plays, execution, and critical moments, that tends to be the deciding factor. The Patriots, to me, only chance is they don't turn the ball over on offense. Go out and force a couple, and you should win the game. At Kyle the Commish, best moment as a new dad so far? Uh, the pockets of sleep? <laughs> But in all seriousness, that little grin that babies do when they're satisfied, like after you feed them or after they, you know, <laughs> poop, uh, for me, it was the same when Caroline was born where <clears throat> sometimes it was a challenge for me to get her and now Cam, like, satisfied because they want their mother and they just cry when they're in daddy's hands. But when you do and they relax and hit that little grin with their eyes closed, nothing beats that to me. And then also, like, literally last night, I was rocking Cam to sleep, and I think he, like, discovered his tongue. Like, you know how children discover different body parts and things they can do as they go along? Because he kept sticking his tongue out at me, and it was the cutest thing I ever saw. So it's going great, man. We're very happy. Everyone's healthy and, and having a good time. And we had a chance to go to this Christmas light show at Flingo Gardens just outside of Davie or right on the fringe of Davie, and it was really, really cool, man. So it's been going good. Uh, it's kind of like the touch some grass 
type of scenario. You know, my philosophy is always when the Dolphins piss you off, go play with your kids. And obviously, I've been doing a lot of that the last month here. So that's my time on the podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Be back with you on Sunday night. Gosh, I hope that's a fun podcast to do. I'm really, really hoping (laughs) that we get to have some joy on the Sunday podcast and I get to do the what's up for a long hold because the last four weeks it's been what's up, Dolphins. And I'm looking forward to having a good one. So hopefully we get that dub and then hopefully off the back end of that we can get a Jets loss and rest up. That would be pretty cool to go play a team in the wild card round that doesn't get a chance to rest up and we get a chance to have a week off, that would be a nice little benefit uh, heading on the road to whichever team is the two seed, which to me is probably going to be Kansas City right now. So uh, here's hoping. You also, please be sure to follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast with Seth and Juice, the postgame show on 560, all the podcasts here on our network internationally. Also, the Dolphins YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and of course, some drive time and fish tank content in there as well. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up, Caroline and Cameron, daddy's coming home. <laughs>